It's good to be with you this morning. It's going to be a beautiful July 4th. I plan on going to my mom and dad's house and flopping on their couch and watching sports and uh, setting off fireworks and eating my mom's hot dogs and, uh, and uh, burgers and uh, some good north brats. You know, we northerners do sausage and weird things like that. Um, so I plan on do that today. We had a good time last night at my parents' house. Um, the first time I have ever really experienced fireworks where we were lighting them. My son was so excited. It was, in fact, more fun to watch him than it was the actual fireworks, if you ask me. You know, when I was a kid, for us, fireworks meant, here's your, here's your sparkler, Scott. Yay. We actually set off, set off a few little rockets here and there and had a good time. It's good to be with you today. I, uh, I love to be with you all in worship. I love being with the body of Christ and naming Jesus and reclaiming what he means as Lord of our life. So I'm, I'm glad to be with you today and I'm glad that you made it out here on July 4th. It's important that we worship together as the body. That's important stuff. So I'm glad that you have made it out today. We've been looking, this is week five, at what we're calling the story of the prodigal God. Hopefully as Gene read those verses to you, if you've been here, those, those things that you heard sort of popped out to you about what it means for the son to ask for his inheritance and what it means for this, this patriarchal father to go run out to this son and what it means to hear that this father brought out the best robe, said, put sandals on his feet, give me the signet, give me the family ring, bring out the fattened calf. Hopefully you heard that and you saw in your mind as she was reading that, sort of the color version, the 3D in color version. If you haven't been with us, sorry if it sounded a little like black and white, you think you've heard this a hundred times. But what we're going to do today is we're going to set this story into the larger context of the story of the Bible. We want to talk about how the story of the prodigal God is like what goes on throughout all of Scripture. We want to sort of get a 30,000 bird, foot bird's eye view I don't know about any birds that go up to 30,000 feet, but planes do. So we want a big, big-time view, a big-picture view of what's going on here in this story. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we want to be open to hearing from your word today so that your spirit would use not my words, but the words that you've given to me and to us as a congregation and as a body so that your spirit would speak to us and inform us and shape us that we would with each day continue to grow grow and to be molded into the people that you want us to be we're grateful for that opportunity today and we ask that you would shape us through hearing your word and through diving into what it means Lord to understand who we are and how it is that you call us to reconciliation with you we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been on that road from Chicago to Cincinnati, but I rode and drove down that road where you take 65 to Indianapolis and then 74 over to Cincinnati. I, I've done that dozens and dozens and dozens of times when I was in college and grad school and early on in our marriage. I know I-74 from Indianapolis to Cincinnati like the back of my hand. That one and a half hour stretch 
from Indy to Cincy was sort of the sign for me that I was coming home. I would cruise along in my beloved 88 Honda Accord. Yes, it was the one with the flip-up flip up lights, one of the last ones. Just me in the open road, enjoying the setting sun on the long horizon of those Midwestern plains, passing cornfields that went farther than the eye could see. I was belting out those old-school Christian artists like Michael W. Smith and Petra and Amy Grant, if you know who those people are. I was headed on the road to that wonderful place whose name has such a warm and inviting ring for most of us. Home. I was driving home. And it always seemed for me as the closer I got, the more I started to feel those warm fuzzies of my hometown. You know when you're approaching your hometown and you think, I'm home. For me, if you know anything about me, those warm fuzzies really started at the La Rosa's Pizza sign. <laughs> Just as you come over the border from Indiana into Ohio, you see the La Rosa's Pizza sign. And so I'd think about all the friends with whom I'd shared pizza and, and gone to that pizza place. And then next door to Grater's Ice Cream, the best ice cream on the planet. And I'd think about all those good times I'd shared with my friends you know, it was, that one, it was that one where the subway that used to be there, where my brother worked and had the Taco Bell in the corner, the one that had those disgusting horror stories that everybody talked about, the corner of Winton and Galbraith, that intersection there. You may remember it. Well, you may not. But you have places like that in your head and in your heart that you recall. You know, it's like, sort of like hearing veterans from around here talk about cruising around the old burger chef. Or a couple that I heard recently talk about double dates to the apex in Johnson City. Yeah, that, that's, going back, that's going back a few years, isn't it? You know, when people talk about that such and such that was over there where that used to be, that was owned by such and such, a dad, his dad over there, you remember that? Those places we call home that we recall so well. Home is where everyone knows you and you know them. It's the kind of place when you're, like I found myself the other day, driving down Tusculum Boulevard, and I found I'm automatically steering to avoid the potholes I know are coming. And I'm not even thinking about it. It's where you walk in, and like that guy in that old show Cheers in the 80s, everybody says, Norm! Home is that place where peace and comfort exist. And where all is, is right with the world. For me, when I'm t tired and I'm worn out and I'm discouraged, I know that I come home and my, my wife will care for me and listen to me. I can walk in the door and I can depend on my, my kids running up to me and yelling, Daddy, Daddy, and running to give me hugs. I wonder what emotions this younger brother felt as he approached his home. I don't think he expected a warm greeting. They weren't going to shout, Hey, come on in. It's great to see you. When he walked in the room. I bet he was flooded with bittersweet memories of the wonderful life that he once knew before he'd squandered his inheritance 
Because you see, that was all over. Everything, everything was different now for this younger son. Turn with me to verses 13 to 17. Let's refresh our memories about what's going on for this younger son. We're going to look through the picture of this younger son's experience of coming home. And we're going to, we're going to think about what it means to be a part of the human race in this sense. That the human condition involves something that we've all experienced, that we all know, that is something much like what this younger son is experiencing. And that's this. The human condition is marked by exile. The human condition is marked by exile. We'll explain that in just a second. Let's go ahead and read again. Verses 13 to 17 here in Luke 15. Follow along in your Bibles, if you would, please. They're in the pew uh, if you don't have one. 13 through 17 in Luke, the 15th chapter. Not many days later... The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? You see, the younger brother's sin had turned him into an exile from his own home. He had disgraced his family and the entire community would have been absolutely outraged at this younger son's behavior. So he takes his money and he goes far away to a distant country in exile, far from his home. The scripture that we just read said he journeyed. It took him a while. We want to look from the bird's eye view at this passage. You see, this younger brother is an image here of the entire human race. We have all experienced that kind of lostness and exile. That's the human condition. You see, we were made for life in the Garden of Eden. Our true home is in the presence of God. But we've lost our home because we are all exiles. You see, home is that place that truly fits and suits us, that welcomes us. In the Old Testament, it's that shalom, it's that peace. And it's not just a place we live, it's a place where our relationship with God and with one another is as it should be. You see, in the world, we were made, we were created from the womb to know and to serve God. Those are the next couple blanks there in your outline. To know and to serve God. It's the reason we exist to live in His presence and to enjoy His love and His beauty. Genesis 1 says that we were made in the image of God. It says we were given dominion over the animals, instructed to be fruitful and to multiply. Genesis 2 said that God planted us in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it, to tend it. We were called to be gardeners. 
Psalm 139 says that we were intimately known by God and intended to know Him and His works. For you formed my inward parts, it says. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist there says, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We're called to know Him and to be known by Him. Ephesians 2, the 10th verse, is a great verse. that says that we are to serve God because we are God's workmanship. His beautiful creation. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So from the beginning, we were planted in the garden as gardeners to know and to serve God, to live in His presence, and to enjoy His love and His beauty. But, like this younger brother, we've messed it all up with our sin. We've messed it all up with our sin. The human condition in which we all find ourselves is this. Because we wanted to be our own saviors, our own lords, we want to take that inheritance and go off to that far country. And to be in control of it ourselves, we make ourselves into exiles. To be in charge of what we think all along is our stuff, we lose our way. We lose our marching orders in life. We stop gardening We become wanderers who don't know our way. Think about Cain in Genesis 4, who said because of his own sin and his separation from God, he said, I have become like a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so all of us have experienced in the human condition frustration and anxiety. The kind of sort of spiritual nausea that we experience when, when things don't work like they should. Not quite feeling at home in the world. Genesis, again, in the third chapter, tells of the curse of this frustration. We were once, in fact, so lost, we didn't even know we were. There was once a rather flippant youth who wanted to take on his preacher... And he said, well, you say, preacher, that unsaved people carry this this weight of sin that frustrates them. He said, I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Ten pounds? Eighty pounds? I feel nothing. Well, the preacher replied by asking this youth, if you laid a 400-pound weight on a corpse, would it feel the load? Well, the youth replied, well, of course not. It would feel nothing because it's dead. The preacher concluded, exactly. That spirit, too, is indeed dead, which feels no load of sin, or is indifferent to its burden, and flippant about the presence of sin. The boy was obviously quiet after that. We have all felt that weight, that burden, that frustration. Our relationships don't work like we think they're supposed to. We long for a world where things work as they should. And we realize that this world doesn't really address the needs of our hearts. We long for things like a love 
that can't possibly be lost. We long for escape from death. We long for triumph of justice over what's wrong. But such things can never ultimately be found here. That's the human condition. We search in vain for things to fill our emptiness. Wealth, fame, material stuff, sex, food, drink, career, leisure, sports, busyness, you name it. Even our family and our kids and our marriages and our relationships with one another, with other people, cannot fill our emptiness. They will not address the true needs of our hearts. So when the younger brother, in verse 17, where it says, he came to his senses. When the younger brother came to his senses, he realized he'd been searching in vain. He realized that he needed to go home. He knew that acceptance and love was available there for him. He knew what those of us who've experienced the gospel in our lives know, which is that the divine solution is, and this may surprise you, but in the story, it's a feast. The, vi- the divine solution is a party. It's a celebration. It's a meal. Look at verses 31 and 32. This is after the younger son has come back and, and the father has already tried to deal with the older son. He said to him, Son, this is verse 31, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He was talking to the older son there. But he says this, It was fitting to celebrate. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. The centerpiece of this parable is a feast. The father throws a feast to mark the reconciliation and the restoration of his son. It's a feast that's filled with music and dancing and and the greatest delicacies and the fat and the calf. He says that when the younger son came home, we had to celebrate. There was no choice. He had to celebrate Because reconciliation is the single most important thing that could ever happen to any of us. In that day, meals like this, they they ratified covenants, they, they celebrated victories, they marked special family occasions and transitions in life, like births and weddings and funerals. And a feast, think about this, was established to mark the greatest event in the salvation history of God's people, the Passover. So why are meals so important? Because, like, La Rosa's pizza for me and my mom's bourbon sweet potatoes, I recall the times at meals when I have felt most at home. In a meal, your body's getting what it needs, the pleasure and nourishment of food and of rest. And your heart is getting what it needs. Laughter and friendship, recalling of memories. Even today, on the 4th, as we celebrate that we have the freedom here today to worship, 
You might have a family gathering or, or some kind of time when you're at somebody's house. You will eat. You will recall things. You will talk to one another. You will enjoy what it means to be around the table at a meal. The divine solution to our human condition is prefigured in this feast. Reconciliation is pictured very clearly in this feast here. In this feast that means that God will bring us home someday. Don't you long for that place of perfect peace? Doesn't your heart just burn for a world where peace reigns, where things work as they are intended to work, where your countless debts are paid off, where your relationships are rich and loving, where cars and computers and, and knees don't break. Where cancer doesn't kill, where disease doesn't ravage our bodies. Don't you long for the presence of God in a way that makes that tangible and real for us beyond what we know now? How many of you have seen the movie Avatar? Anybody seen Avatar? Okay. A recent movie called uh, Avatar is a story that takes place on a faraway planet called Pandora. It's inhabited by a race of, of seven-foot-tall, peace-loving natives known as the Navi. Human beings from Earth have occupied parts of this planet in search of of a rare and, and, and valuable mineral, which leads to skirmishes with these natives, the peace-loving Navi. And ultimately, it leads to a war. So caught up in the middle of all this is Jake Sully, who is a marine. He's a human who, who sort of drives an artificially created uh, alien body. And the Navi princess. These two characters fall in love, and ultimately, they join forces to save. Pandora. This movie was released in December of 2009, and in less than a month, it raked in more than $1.3 billion worldwide. It obviously struck a nerve with a lot of people, had a big effect on lots of people. With, with this, it impacted the perception of our own world for many of those film's viewers. Let me explain. Within a week of the debut of this movie, websites dedicated to the movie were filled with comments from people lamenting the fact that Avatar's people and its, its places could not ever really be reached. There was an entire discussion on one site that said that it was called Ways to Cope with the Depression of the Dream of Pandora Being Intangible. One fan wrote this, When I woke up this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life, everything I had done and had been working for, sort of lost its meaning. 
Another one wrote something similar. The day after I saw Avatar, I was depressed. I looked at my own hands and I thought, what I wouldn't give. Going and, and seeing it again and again, it makes me feel good. I love Pandora. Not just a spur-of-the-moment feeling. I legitimately love all of Pandora and waking up after the movie is done is hard to do. Waking up the next morning is even harder. These comments are just a sample among thousands and thousands of, of, of posts on these websites that appeared on dozens of these fan sites. Most of them expressed sort of a, a longing to somehow transport themselves into that world of Pandora in the movie. And most expressed an accompanying sense of depression because that was impossible. The movie seemed to intensify a deep dissatisfaction with their everyday lives and a desire for a fresh chance somewhere new. Responding to uh, several fans about this phenomenon, about the plan to establish a, a, a Pandora way of living on earth, one person said this, that's the problem. Even if you wanted to strive to be more like that movie, you would be eaten alive in this world. It really hurts thinking that, you know. It would really take a complete, fresh start somewhere uncorrupted. I know, said another fan, but there's no chance of moving anywhere else. There's no fresh place. So we just live with the fact that we cannot begin anew. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we see the scope of Scripture shown to us in this story about prodigal God. The answer to that is no, you don't really have to deal with that. With that world that you will never reach. Because we all have that opportunity for a fresh start. We can indeed find a home that is uncorrupted. It's called the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 8, He says, Many will come from east and from west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Are you among that many who will gather from east and from west and will take your place at that feast where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus sit around the table talking about the peace, the reconciliation, salvation, naming the ways that we can see back in our lives today how God has shaped us to meet Him at that table. When we get there, when we get there around that table, we will say something like this. I've come home at last. 
in our hearts and our minds, we will say, I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, and I have found it. Friends, we have hope beyond the frustrations and the anxieties and the difficulties of today that will last forever. Let's enjoy that and look forward to that day and live now with the hope of knowing that you and I have a place at the table in the kingdom of heaven.